It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. My name is Claudio Mendoza and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Tonight, following NPR News headlines, the California Report covers Governor Gavin Newsom's recall fight, the challenges the federal government faces amid spiking numbers of unaccompanied migrant children crossing the border with Mexico, and the ongoing effort to vaccinate Californians against COVID-19. Then, after regional weather, Paul Emery checks in with retired Federal Reserve senior economist Gary Zimmerman about the $1.9 trillion stimulus package and how it's expected to affect the American economy. We will close our newscast with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti about universal basic income. For their generous support of KVMR, we thank Sierra Moon Goldsmiths, family-owned, full-service goldsmith shop specializing in custom-designed jewelry. Open Wednesday through Saturday, noon to 4 p.m. in Old Town Auburn. Information and designs online at sierramoongoldsmiths.com. And Scraps Dog Bakery, a locally-owned pet store offering raw, organic dog and cat products and supplies, also fresh-baked dog treats. Open 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., closed Sundays. Located next to BNC Hardware in Grass Valley. Here are tonight's National Public Radio headlines. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. President Biden and Vice President Harris are both on the road today selling the just-passed American Recovery Act. NPR's Scott Detrow reports from Darby, Pennsylvania. The bill is already law and has bipartisan support among voters, but Biden wants to make sure it stays popular. The president traveled outside of Philadelphia visiting a flooring company that received a loan from the Paycheck Protection Program. He also taped an interview with ABC News. Harris, meanwhile, stumped for the new law in Colorado after promoting it in Nevada Monday. The two will both travel to Georgia later this week. Another round of direct payments was a key part of Democrats' closing arguments in Georgia's special Senate elections, which gave Democrats control of the chamber. Scott Detrow, NPR News, Darby, Pennsylvania. The top Republican in the Senate is turning up the pressure against Democrats' efforts to eliminate the filibuster. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says Republicans would bring the Senate to a grinding halt if Democrats move ahead with changes to the rules. McConnell warns that eliminating or changing the filibuster would not open up an express lane for liberal change. He also listed some of the legislation that Republicans would move on when they're back in power. As soon as Republicans wound up back in the saddle, we wouldn't just erase every liberal change that hurt the country. We'd strengthen America with all kinds of conservative policies with zero zero input from the other side. McConnell said Republicans would move to take funding away from Planned Parenthood and work to pass concealed carry laws. Majority Whip Dick Durbin fired back at McConnell's threats to slow the Senate, saying he's already done that. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. Despite efforts to influence the 2020 election, U.S. officials say they have found no evidence foreign actors in any way were able to disrupt the actual voting process or results. That's according to a new government report out today that further reinforces the validity of Joe Biden's win over former President Donald Trump. Where officials did note more countries than in past years may have sought to influence the process, including Russia. 
Texas and 13 other states say Google is trying to wall off the open Internet. As Paul Flav from Texas Public Radio reports, the states say Google is using customer privacy as a pretext to strengthen its online ad market. In January, Google announced it would phase out third-party cookies, invasive bits of code to track people's Internet use. Companies use that information to target ads and track their success. Google began the phase-out after a handful of antitrust lawsuits were filed over its ad business. Texas amended its lawsuit Monday, saying canceling third-party cookies will actually consolidate Google's power in the marketplace, making advertisers even more reliant on the company. Apple's Safari browser, as well as Firefox, have already blocked these cookies. Google previously said the antitrust lawsuits were without merit. I'm Paul Flav in San Antonio. On Wall Street, the Dow was down 127 points. This is NPR. Los Angeles Lakers star LeBron James now has an ownership stake in the Boston Red Sox. Member station GBH in Boston, Esteban Bustillos reports the move makes James a partner in one of the world's largest sports ownership groups. According to multiple reports, James now has an undisclosed number of shares in Fenway Sports Group, or FSG, the firm that owns the Red Sox, Fenway Park, and the storied British soccer team Liverpool Football Club. James and his longtime business partner, Maverick Carter, now become the first black partners in FSG history. James already had an ownership stake in Liverpool FC and has also had a partnership with Fenway Sports Management, the marketing and consulting branch of FSG. For NPR News... I'm Esteban Bustillos in Boston. Organizers of an effort to recall California Governor Gavin Newsom face a Wednesday deadline to submit nearly one and a half million petition signatures needed to qualify to put the proposal on the ballot. Supporters say they've collected more than two million, though hundreds of thousands have yet to be verified by elections officials. The month-long review gets underway tomorrow to determine if and when the measure will get on the ballot. The Democratic governor has seen his popularity plummet amid public frustration over long-running school and business closures due to the coronavirus pandemic. Crude oil futures prices continue to lose ground today. Oil ending the session down 59 cents a barrel to close at 64.80 a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Governor Gavin Newsom and other California Democrats have formally launched a campaign to fight the effort to recall him from office. This comes after his opponents spent months gathering signatures to qualify a recall measure for the ballot. More now from the California Report's Saul Gonzalez. Called Stop the Republican Recall, the new campaign has rolled out its first ad. It portrays the recall effort as a harebrained scheme promoted by right-wing radicals and conspiracy theorists. Who's behind the partisan recall of Governor Gavin Newsom? Anti-vaccine QAnon extremists. Violent white supremacists like the Proud Boys who attacked our nation's capital on January 6th. The ad goes on to say that the recall campaign also takes away attention from fighting the pandemic. Meanwhile, nationally, such political figures as Senators Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker simultaneously announced their opposition to the recall, citing Newsom's effort to protect Californians from COVID. For the California Report, I'm Saul 
Paul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California's junior U.S. Senator Alex Padilla says that the federal government faces challenges in housing the spiking number of unaccompanied migrant children crossing the border with Mexico. KQED's Guy Marzarati has that story. The number of children crossing the border by themselves jumped 60 percent between January and February, according to the Associated Press. In an interview with KQED, Senator Padilla says finding safe housing for these kids is a logistical challenge. With the uptick in, in the numbers uh, of folks we're talking about uh, and uh, you know, in better, more humane uh, housing conditions coupled with COVID-19 protocols, uh, it is definitely more challenging at the time. President Biden's health department is converting a Dallas convention center into a shelter for immigrant teenagers, and the department is reportedly eyeing locations in California as well. Padilla chairs the Senate's subcommittee on immigration. He says Congress needs to keep an eye on how migrant children are being treated in these temporary facilities. It's our job to uh, maintain the proper oversight and they keep the proper pressure uh, to make sure it's done and, and done properly. Under former President Trump, migrant children caught crossing the border during the COVID-19 pandemic were expelled. But the Biden administration has changed course and is allowing the children to seek protection in the U.S. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. California Attorney General Javier Becerra is among 24 AGs across the country criticizing opioid giant Purdue Pharma's plan to reorganize itself after bankruptcy. In a proposal released last night, the Sackler family has upped its offer to settle hundreds of thousands of claims against it. But payment would come over the next decade, and attorneys general say it's not nearly enough. The company helped fuel the addiction crisis that's left more than 450,000 Americans dead. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. It's a big week for the state's COVID-19 vaccine rollout, with millions more Californians with pre-existing conditions now eligible for the vaccine. To learn more about these important new changes, we called up Andy Imperato. He is the Executive Director of Disability Rights California. For people who have high-risk disabilities who are trying to get the vaccine, they can self-attest to the existence of their disability and they don't have to have a letter from a, a treating medical professional. That is going to be a game changer in terms of people getting access to the vaccine. So we're very grateful for that. But are you worried at all that not requiring proof could allow non-eligible people to cut in line? Well, there's two things. One, we, we feel that it's important that people with disabilities not be required to provide proof if other people in priority categories are not being required to provide proof. So, for example, my 22-year-old son, who's a classroom teacher, was able to get the vaccine at a CVS without having to show any documentation that he was a classroom teacher. And then we're also concerned about the barrier that it creates to have to go see a doctor and get a certification from a doctor. So yes, we think the trade-off is worth it. Do you feel like 
people with disabilities, uh, whether it's physical or intellectual and developmental disabilities, have been left behind when it comes to vaccines in California? Should they have been more of a priority early on? I mean, so at Disability Rights California, we have maintained since before the holidays that people who are high risk, who are under 65, should have access to the vaccine at the same time as people who are high risk who are over 65. So in late January, when the governor said that age was going to be the factor uh, and that folks who are under 65 with disabilities might have to wait until June to get the vaccine, we were very concerned that a lot of people were going to die because of that decision. And we are delighted that the governor changed his position. Andy, as things stand now, are vaccine sites easily accessible to Californians with physical disabilities? So the vaccine sites are not consistently accessible, but part of what the state is doing this week is they're opening up a lot of different ways for people to get access to the vaccines, including pop-up sites that are specifically targeting folks with disabilities like independent living centers. The regional center system that serves people with intellectual and developmental disabilities are partnering with community-based organizations and service providers to try to get the vaccine to people in places that are easy for them to access. And I know that supply of the vaccine is a big concern for you. Talk us through what worries you there. Do we have enough from what you can tell? Yeah, I mean, my my understanding from Dr. Aragon, the head of the California Department of Public Health as of last week, is that we'll have about 900,000 new first dose vaccines available this week and about the same amount next week, and then it will go up dramatically. So yes, vaccine supply is a concern. And I'm also hoping that people who are comfortably sheltering in place and are not at high risk of dying from COVID will wait a couple of weeks before they try to access the vaccine. Andy, it's really good to get your take on this. Andy Imperato is the Executive Director of Disability Rights California. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lily. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, March 16th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks so much for listening. In Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight mostly clear and cold. Tonight's low will be around 33 degrees. Tomorrow, we should see increasing clouds with a high near 54. Those clouds bring with them a 20% chance of rain after 11 p.m. And in the Lake Tahoe and Truckee region, tonight mostly clear and very cold. The low tonight is estimated to be 19 degrees. On Wednesday, Lake Tahoe and Truckee residents can expect some sunshine with a high near 47, although that will be short-lived as the National Weather Service has issued a special weather statement for the region. A late-season winter storm will bring gusty winds and mountain snow to the area by midday Thursday, but little, if any, roadway accumulation is expected. For Sacramento and Woodland, mostly clear, with a low around 39 this evening. Tomorrow will be partly sunny, with a high near 63. On March 11th, President Joe Biden signed into law a $1.9 trillion economic stimulus bill, 
officially called the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. Recently, KVMR's Paul Emery spoke with retired Federal Reserve senior economist Gary Zimmerman about it. The Global Economic Report with Gary Zimmerman is sponsored by Rick Kalb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City. Also at rickkalb.com. Welcome to KVMR, Gary. Um, it's been a couple of weeks and I thought we'd catch up on stuff. Um, I, I got some questions concerning the Federal Reserve on the and the economy today. Well, thank you, Paul. Um, this is a big week for monetary policy. Fire away. Okay, Congress has now passed, and the president will sign, or actually has signed, I think, the um, $1.9 COVID relief package. Do you expect that will help the economy expand over the next year? Yes, Paul, I think it will uh, help the economy grow faster and help the millions of workers who are still unemployed or working part-time or lost their jobs and took a lower-paying job as a result of the pandemic. So, you know, it'll help businesses and landlords hurt by the pandemic state and local governments too. Um, you know, so the overall macroeconomic effect is it'll boost spending in the economy at a time when households and businesses and the governments have, have generally had to cut back. And that will help offset the pandemic damage to the economy and, and help the economy rebound faster. So I think it's safe to say that most economists believe this will give the economy an important boost. Um, you know, it's still suffering from the 2020 pandemic damages. Well, Gary, are you expecting any major changes in the Federal Reserve's monetary or interest rate policy? Paul, I think Fed Chair Jay Powell in his recent public comments made it clear that the economy is still a, a long ways off from the meeting the Fed's two policy goals, essentially full employment and a 2% inflation rate sustained over a period of time. So, so no, Paul, I don't expect major changes from the Fed policymakers at the March meeting. Um, you know, and I think most of the analysts agree they expect the Fed to stick with policies designed to help the recovery pick up speed with, you know, combination of low interest rates and by buying uh, bonds, treasury bonds and uh, mortgage-backed securities bonds or quantitative easing. So, uh, Gary, can you give us a few details on the uh, Fed's uh, two monetary policy goals? How about the full unemployment goal? <laughs> well, Paul, uh, after decades as a Fed economist, I'll, I'll try and give it a, a shot. Um, the Fed has two goals. One is full employment in the economy, and that is usually measured by looking at labor market conditions, um, unemployment rate, payroll jobs, and so forth. And the other is stable and low inflation, and the Fed has a 2% um, inflation target and has had for that for about a, a decade. Um, the unemployment target. Well, the, the February payroll job numbers actually were very good. The economy added almost 380,000 jobs. Uh, but the unemployment rate only dropped slightly to 6.2% of the civilian labor force. And there's still close to 10 million people unemployed from, you know, the before COVID. So, you know, at 6.2%, is well above the Fed's, you know, 4% longer run full employment rate that the Fed policy makers are sort of estimating what they would expect when the economy is back to full employment. So that's one. <laughs> well, how close is the Fed to? It's, uh, I believe, a 2% inflation goal. Uh, and how long has it been since we've seen inflation at 2%? 
Oh, okay. The Fed's inflation goal is to get the overall uh, sort of average inflation rate as measured by uh, an index called the Total um, Personal Consumption Expenditure Price Index, or PCE, that includes food and energy prices, um, to get that up to a sustainable average of about 2% for a period of time. And they don't want to, they're not just looking for a a temporary blip at 2%. um, but a sustainable 2% or average inflation. Uh, globally, though, you know, inflation is quite low. And, you know, after the 2008 financial crisis and the Great Recession, you know, the Fed has not been able to get the inflation rate up to that 2% figure for any, you know, any length of time. And the, you know, January inflation rate using this measure was only about 1.5% increase from a year ago. So so the inflation rate has been, you know, climbing over the past year, but it still remains well below the Fed's 2% goal. Okay, so even with the economy growing and, and jobs being added, apparently the Fed isn't hitting either of its goals. Is that correct? Yes, Paul, that's the big picture. And until the Fed reaches both of its policy goals, I'd expect the Fed to continue to keep interest rates low and to continue to continue to purchase a sizable amount of mostly Treasury bonds each month. Um, you know, Fed policies will, you know, continue to keep help uh, help keep the recovery on track and to you know, offset the damage caused to the, to the economy by the pandemic. And that's the important part. So what will all the COVID relief and the Fed policies do to the economic growth rate? Could faster economic growth drive up inflation? What does uh, Fed Chair Powell say about this? Oh, the message Fed Chair Powell made last week was that low interest rates, you know, combined with the boost of the now passed Biden COVID relief package, you know, will support economic growth and, I think, you know, improving the outlook for 2021 GDP growth. Uh, but Powell, I thought, was clear in his remarks that the Fed would need to continue supporting the economy this year uh, because we're, you know, below full employment goal and we're below the inflation goal. And, you know, even inflation could, you know, if it picks up, it could only be temporary, um, not, not you know, a sustained amount. So, you know, that's one. Um, you know, also, uh, new Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, you know, agreed with Powell this week. She expects, you know, growth to pick up in 2021. And she pointed out that even with full employment and a low 3.5% unemployment rate before COVID uh, in 2020, the Fed couldn't get the inflation rate up to its 2% goal. So, you know, and and, and she also noted, and she's a recent Federal Reserve chair, um, that if inflation were to surge, uh, something the Fed is certainly watching for, the Fed has the tools like raising interest rates um, to slow the economy and inflation. So, you know, she's not expecting you know full employment to to pick up until you know 2022, but that you know, and that's partially from Fed policy and the relief package. Uh, Gary, one last question: uh, Is there any disagreement on the outlook for inflation? <laughs> yes, Paul, there is some disagreement uh, from uh, from other economists as well. Uh, for example, one one very prominent um, economic forecaster, Mark Zandi of Moody's, said this week that he thinks we'll see inflation rising as the economy experiences a, a strong recovery in 2021. So, you know, that's one reason why the financial markets have been driving up longer term bond rates in recent weeks. These are markets that respond quickly to rising inflation expectations. And, you know, that's also you know, something to keep an eye on. So, so yes, there is some disagreement. So keep your eye on, you know, the inflation numbers as they come out and indicators of inflation expectations and, uh, you know, <laughs> what, what Zandi and Yellen and Powell are talking about. Uh, I'll certainly be doing that. So. Gary, thanks so much for speaking with KVMR and look forward to our next chat. You're welcome, Bob. Thank you.
Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. Next up, Mark Cunaberti talks about guaranteed income programs. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Michael Tubbs, an African-American and previous mayor of Stockton from 2019 to 2021, and recently hired by the Biden administration, had an idea a few years back. Witnessing the rampant poverty and low-income levels of many constituents in his town, he instigated a controversial program called the Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration, otherwise known as the SEED program. Its implementation fell along the lines of universal basic income. That's also been called guaranteed income or basic income. It's not a new concept and has been tried sporadically in various parts of the world, including a handful of cities in the United States. The concept is to provide a no-strings-attached periodic income to all. The principles are that they are distributed in regular payments. They're cash payments, not coupons or vouchers. They're paid to every citizen, not just every household. They're paid to every citizen regardless of the situation, and there's no requirement to work or willingness to get the check. There are likely variations of the principles, and Mayor Tubbs did tweak the program to limit the number of recipients to 125, and that had a medium income level of $46,000. The payment was $500 a month for 24 months, was paid through a debit card, and had no restrictions on how the money could be spent. Possibly fearing backlash from taxpayers, the entire program was supported by donations. After two years through an interview process, it was found recipients of the payments experienced less stress, were better parents and partners, secured full-time employment in many cases, and had an improved overall sense of well-being. That from CBS News. No specific statistics were given, nor how the interviewers arrived at their conclusions, but the reported success of the program has spurred further discussions along the same lines. A similar pilot program in 2017 in Finland reported similar benefits. No doubt the pros and cons of such an idea will be fiercely debated. It's hard to imagine, considering the income limits installed in the COVID bailout programs, that the principle of paying the check to all citizens, regardless of their situation, would remain if instigated in the United States. The bigger questions are obvious. Would a guaranteed income kill incentive to find employment? No doubt a few would argue that there are at least some people that would forego seeking employment if given a minimum payment, such as the way of subsidies everywhere. Some would argue that the greater good being served would far outweigh the few that might take advantage of the program. Others would use the incentive argument to nix the whole idea. Who would pay for it would certainly surround the debate. Governments would not be able to fund such programs on a large scale through donations. Remember, Stockton's program only had 125 participants. No doubt the usual methods of public spending mechanisms would be used. Taxation, borrowing, or creating the funds from the printing press are the three methods available to the public trust, such as the source for all government funds, of course. Another question is, would the payments be taxed, seeing as everybody would receive payments under the current principles? The futility of taxing the funds away from people, only to give it back through a monthly check, seems counterintuitive. For an example, Social Security payments come to mind. These were once promised not to be taxed, but that all changed in 1984 under amendments signed by President Reagan. 
portions of Social Security payments are taxed based on income. And for those wondering, yes, in 1983, Joe Biden joined a bipartisan effort to make 50% of Social Security benefits taxable for those above a certain income. Anyway, keeping the taxation of Social Security benefits in mind, it would be hard to reason guaranteed income payments would not be taxed, redundant as that seems. No doubt the debate would be hard-fought and contentious. The idea of a basic income has gained traction since the COVID-19 event, and the discussion is only likely to gain momentum as income inequality escalates, which in this analyst's opinion is bad to continue. That's it for today's Money Matters. The opinions expressed here are my opinions only and may not necessarily reflect those of this station, its staff, management, or underwriters. I hold a degree in economics from San Diego State University in 1979 with honors. I'm a California insurance agent with license OL34249 and I'm a Medicare-approved agent in the state of California. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Kuniberg. That's our newscast for this evening. You can hear it again wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, kvmr.org. While you're there, fill out our listener survey. It'll only take a couple of minutes, and your answers will help us make decisions that will allow us to serve you better. Stay tuned. Educationally Speaking is next. Tonight's topic, the arts. And at 7 p.m., we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening, and have a good evening. (laughs) 